Well, good morning. Welcome. This is a, a timely pause as the group has finished playing and folk in the concourse are coming in. The balcony is almost full, so hopefully we'll start filling up right at the front. It's good to be here. We're going to read our verse which will take us into the week, in fact, three verses. May we begin and read this together, taken from Revelation chapter 1, 4 to 6. If we can read it as one voice, one heart and voice. Let's begin. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen indeed. Uh, I hope you've received a hard copy, but also um, on email the Louvre for the coming week. This is part of our uh, global mission. We had a good uh, day yesterday, looking out into a needy world and challenging and stimulating one another with all the opportunities that God gives to us. We'll hear a bit more about that in the course of the service. Just um, some additional items. I suppose it's timely to congratulate the Irish. It's St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. Yes. Excellent. We don't hear any more about it. You've had your day. That's how it is. And we're delighted to have Pastor Julian. Where are you? Where is he? Ah. He's arriving in Romanian time. Come up here a minute. Uh, just going to bring a brief greeting. Uh, to us from the church in Calarat, which we linked with. So, welcome. Yes. Hello. Hi. <laughs> uh, I will start with uh, something that uh, is represent our ministry uh, by a personal and direct act, different from all that He created until then. God has made man from dust, breathed life into His nostrils and therefore man was made a living soul. Lord God reached his hand out to Adam and told him, choose to live. In that moment, Adam stands up from dust, raises his eyes and arms toward God and says, I choose to live. And since then, until uh, nowadays, no people have this great responsibility to choose to live and how to, to live. Because uh, from the very beginning, God has offered to the humans this great gift called freedom. The life of each of us is made by choice. And this choice marks our past, affects our present, and determines our future. God has chosen for you to live. You choose how to live. Choose to live uh, 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 to do his purpose, his plan. And so, please receive greetings from our churches where I serve. And uh, thank you very much for your support, for your uh, prayers, and for everything. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Thank you. It's not easy talking in uh, a different language. You did very well. Thank you, Julian. That's, that's excellent. We're also delighted to have Simon Barrington, Executive Director of Samaritan's Press. Welcome. Simon will be hearing from you in the course of the service. 
So we come together in worship and thanksgiving, mingling all our varied emotions as we come in this lovely day. Let's pray together. We take a moment as we give thanks to God for the blessing of being alive, of the grace to receive and of the privilege of being together in the Spirit on your day. Lord, would you lead us as we would want to bring all the variety of emotions into one focal point of worship. And we do this now for the glory of your name. And help us, Lord, not only in song, but in prayer to bless your holy name. Even when we find events in our lives hard to come to terms with, we come to you in the only way that we can, just as we are. And we do so being mindful not only of our personal circumstances, but that of others. So we identify with each other in our praying. We do thank you, Lord, for this global perspective, a reminder again to look out into a world. We thank you that you so loved the world that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ. And we picture the cross that is towering over all the ravages of human life, misery, and despair, pointing to hope and joy and forgiveness and peace. And that we celebrate on this Resurrection Day. Come to us as we pray and come to needy folk whom we know and love. Lord, you don't leave us comfortless. We ask that you would draw near to us and fill our souls with light and the comfort of your presence. And we pray for families who need to know your presence in all the challenges of life, its beginnings and its endings. So would you help us? Lord, we thank you for the gift of this new day, and it is a gift Help us to enjoy it, to, to revel in the sheer beauty of your creation. And give us a sense of accountability as we come together today. Help us in all the diversity of needs, the immense privileges, and as they merge together with clarity of vision, and deeper purpose, we live out our lives in a way that is honouring to you. Guide us in this service, Lord Jesus, and would your Holy Spirit be our teacher and our guide, and make our hearts receptive, make our will to be resolute, and our minds 
stimulated again by the good news of great joy that is for all people. And we want to gather the fragments of thought and longing and joy and emotion and despair together and with boldness and humility to pray that prayer that you taught your disciples to pray saying Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil thine is the kingdom the power and the glory for ever and ever Amen Amen indeed we could do it more amens in church couldn't we uh, thank you let's stand and sing give thanks with a grateful heart from John chapter 4 the story of Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples when the Lord learned of this he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee now he had to go through Samaria So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, uh, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life the woman said to him sir give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water he told her go call your husband and come back I have no husband she replied Jesus said to her you are right when you say you have no husband The fact is, you have had five husbands, 
and the man you have now has is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. May our Lord bless the reading to us. So before Simon comes to speak to us, we're going to sing this song which focuses on the Lord of sea and sky and we respond to him. I heard your voice. May we hear his voice today. And as this uh, hymn is being um, sung, we uh, will receive the offering. Thank you. Thank you for your warm welcome, and uh, it's been great to spend the weekend here in uh, Long Crendon. What a beautiful situation you guys live in. I was looking at the houses today and walking up and down the streets. They're absolutely beautiful in the, in the sunshine. It's just wonderful to be here. Um, thank you so much as well for your uh, welcome to me and your support of Samaritan's Purse um, over the years. Um, many of you, or a number of you, have been to Swaziland and seen the work that we're doing there to mobilise 600 churches to lift 12,000 families out of poverty over the next three years. We heard yesterday about Rwanda and the work there through um, the Anglican Church to lift 10,000 families out of poverty. Uh, many of you have been involved in Operation Christmas Child and packed shoeboxes uh, with us over the years through schools and uh, through your children. And last year we were able to send 10 million shoeboxes to children in 105 countries around the world with a message that God loves them and that he cares for them and that he wants them to know that he loves them. And follow up to Operation Christmas Child through churches in 57 of those countries. We run a 12-week evangelism and discipleship program 
that so far 1.8 million children have been through and 1.3 million children have made commitments to Christ in 57 countries around the world as a follow-up to Operation Christmas Child. So thank you for your support here for Long Crendon, from in Long Crendon. It's making an amazing difference. But I wanna, don't want to talk very much about Samaritan's Purse, but rather to look at John chapter 4 and see the model there that Jesus sets out for working out his mission here on earth. It's one of the first examples that we have of Jesus working out his ministry. And it's a passage that, for me, sets out a pattern for our mission at Samaritan's Purse and gives us some wonderful insights into how Jesus would have us relate to the world around us and his priorities as for us as we seek to live out our Christian lives in the places that he's called us to be, whether that be Ipswich for me, or Long Crendon, or Romania, or wherever God has called us. Firstly, I want us to notice in this passage that Jesus went to where people were at, rather than expecting them to come to him. You see, right at the heart of God is a heart of mission, right in the very fabric of our all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-knowing God is a desire to reach out, to go and be where people are. We see that here in verse 6, as Jesus goes to the well, a place that would have been teeming with people all day long, the most important place in the village, because of the scarcity of the life-giving water that it contains, some 70 five feet down in the earth and he sits and he waits and he watches and he observes a Jesus who is tired from the walk a Jesus who is all human a weary traveller come to the well for some much needed refreshment you see this is our God the God who spun stars into space the God who measures the breadth of the sky with the span of his hand who scoops up the ocean with his two hands who laid the foundations of the earth who sent his son to be born as a human as a baby through the womb of a woman identifying with us at an elemental level showing the ultimate way to live so that we might know that right at the center of his being our God is a missional God a God who reaches out with arms of love and care as J.D. Phillips says in your God is too small God may thunder his commands from Mount Sinai and men may fear yet remain at heart exactly as they were before but let a man once see his God down here in the arena as a man suffering, tempted, sweating and agonised, finally dying a criminal's death on a cross and he is a hard man indeed who is untouched. Or to quote that great preacher Bono of you two, just as God was working out his redemptive history at the cross, God is also in the slums, God is also in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house, God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries heard in the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and life. God is with the children and God is with us if we are with them. 
The good news of God is here. The rule of God is here. The reign of God is here. Now it's arrived. God's rule, God's reign was being established. It was imminent. It was immediate. It was Jesus walking the highways and byways of Galilee, sitting with a woman at the well at Samaria. This good news that was going to turn everything upside down. This long-awaited good news that would bring justice, compassion, righteousness, glory, power, mercy, forgiveness, and grace and love and ultimately reconciliation with our Father God was now walking amongst them in human form fully man and yet fully God present here now and so we see Jesus fully God fully man tired going going to where people are at and sitting at a well feeling the deep human needs of thirst and tiredness. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and lived among us for a while. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we see Jesus sat at the well in the middle of the day. Boy, it must have been hot. God made flesh, feeling our humanity, reaching out to a woman, a woman, and more than that, a Samaritan woman. This is a scandal of the highest degree. A Jewish teacher speaking to a Samaritan woman. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and vice versa. They wouldn't even drink from the same cup because it would be defiled. The Samaritans were the infidel of the day, the outcast, and as a woman in the midst of a very conservative Eastern culture, this was a double scandal, compounded by the fact that her life was a mess, as we all find out later. And into this situation, Jesus gives the woman dignity by asking the simple question, will you give me a drink? This desire to reach out to the unloved characterized Jesus' ministry throughout the Gospels, giving the clear message that no one is unlovable, no one is out of the scope of God's mission. In fact, the more unloved you feel, the more out of reach of God's love you think yourself to be, the more evidence there is that God is interested in reaching out to you. So if you feel lonely this morning, if you feel depressed, if you feel you're an outcast in society, if you feel you're not welcomed by the rest of humanity, there is more evidence in the scripture that God is interested in you than he is interested in everybody who thinks they've got their life all sorted out and together. And that's good news. That is really good news. That's good news if you've messed up. That's good news if you feel you're a failure. That's good news if you've lost your job. That's good news if you've got divorced. That's really good news if you feel left out and lonely and depressed. God loves you. He cares for you and he wants you to have that message today. But right at the heart of his being, he is a God of mission who goes to the outcast, who goes to those who feel left out and says, I love you. I love you so much that I sent my son for you. I love you so much that I broke through heaven and through history and sent my son down to live on the earth and to minister in, uh, in your situation. Jesus told his disciples to report of his own ministry that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor, Matthew 11, verse 5. But lest we be complacent to this very day, 
girls in a developing world can't go to school because they have to fetch water or there are no latrines at the school. Young girls as young as five are sold into child prostitution. The middle child is left to die of malnutrition while the youngest survives on breast milk and 25% of the world's children are malnutrition. 824 million people on this planet in 2014 go to bed hungry every night. One in five children in northern Uganda don't reach their fifth birthday. They get to blow out the fourth candle on the cake, but not the fifth. 27 million children are trafficked through human trafficking every year. 12 million children head up orphan-headed households in Africa alone because of HIV and AIDS. These are the outcasts that Jesus calls us to go to today. They're the children who live in orphanages. They're the children who are abused. They're the children who live on rubbish dumps. They're the children who have fear written on their faces. They're the children who are child soldiers in South Sudan and the Democratic Republic of Congo. They're the children with hopelessness in their eyes. They're the children who die of malaria because we couldn't get a five pound malaria net to them quickly enough. They're the children who die of drinking dirty water. They're the children who live in train carriages and under bridges. They're the starving children of the South Sudan refugee camps. But in case you're thinking this is all out there, I just want to bring this a little bit more at home today as well. You see, God has never lost his missional heart, but for nearly a hundred years, the church in the UK has not had to think about mission in its own backyard. The church in the West, and particularly in the UK, were part of Christendom, where church and state were aligned. The culture of Christianity and the culture of the country were in step, where christening or baptism was your birth certificate, where you always went to church, it was the done thing, and there was no need for Christians to think in terms of mission on their own doorstep. Mission was for Hudson Taylor and David Livingstone and was out there somewhere, and over there somewhere, and was for those who were called and liked long boat journeys and insects and heat and all that stuff. Coming into church was normal, at least three times in your life, patch, match and dispatch as they say. Churches never had to bother about their appearance, didn't need to worry about the cold, hard pews, boring sermons and naff coffee served in paper cups. Over the last 30 years we've seen a change. We've made our churches more attractive. You have a beautiful building and it's fantastic. Nice flowers, real coffee, modern music, relevant services, multimedia, all well and good. But I've got some really bad news for you. That approach is fading in its impact because for the average 18 to 35 year old of whom only 1% go to church regularly, that's 1%, Coming into church these days is as natural as arriving at an African airport for the first time, or as Steve Collins says, and you might find this shocking, as natural as inviting a straight guy to go to a gay bar. Why would I want to? What would I do when I get there? It's a completely foreign environment. The average church works in an environment where 80% of the effort goes into making church buildings and services attractive. The mission of Jesus was one where all his effort went into reaching out to unloved people where they were. 
We need to recapture the missional heart of God for people in our communities. This is a real challenge for us. We don't want to hear it on a Sunday morning to find fresh expressions of our Christian faith that are relevant to today's culture. A real challenge to be living the Jesus life, to be building communities of Jesus apprentices who do what Jesus did, go where people are at, who reach out to the hurting, the outcasts, the prostitutes, the drug users, the youth hanging on the corner, the asylum seekers, the debt-ridden, the mum struggling to raise three kids on her own, to say a word, to be there, to be with the lonely. This is our calling, and it's not what we're used to. But this was Jesus' ministry here in this Gospel. That's what's so exciting and engaging. This is not a new strategy. It's not something that Samaritan's Purse has dropped up. It's not some new fad or new thing that we need to be doing. But it's recapturing the mission that is right at the heart of God. You know, Jesus didn't count the people coming into church and the people in the pews. He counted them as he sent them out. First the twelve, then the seventy-two. Are you counting those you are sending or those who are coming? Is part of what Samaritan's Purse does right around the world for the widows suffering from HIV and AIDS, for the orphan who heads up their household, for the victim of an earthquake or a tsunami, for the child with alcoholic parents. Jesus didn't spend 80% of his time smartening up the synagogue and inviting people in with new worship songs, kids clubs, better teaching. He went and he sat at the well, he fellowshiped at the table, he met with the tax collectors, he had God conversations while he walked and ate. Our God is a missional God, we are a people of mission and he says, go, go and be with my people. But you know it wasn't enough for Jesus just to go and be. He never left anyone unchanged by the experience. In fact, Jesus was interested in changing the human heart and changing human society. He was interested in changing people's minds and their actions through words and deeds. As Henry Newen once said, his appearance in our midst has made it undeniably clear that changing the human heart and changing human society are not separate tasks but as interconnected as the two beings of the cross. And so Jesus changed people through his words and he changed them through his actions. Sometimes people were challenged by his words, like this woman at the well, as Jesus turns her attention away from the physical water and points to the source of living water, Jesus himself. A real encounter with Jesus is something which has changed many of our lives and one which continues to change the lives of thousands of people around the world to every day. Jesus challenged her about her lifestyle and he challenged her about her beliefs. You are right when you say you have no husband, he says to her in verse 17. And you Samaritans worship what you do not know, we worship what we do. This is so relevant for us today. The gap between our Christian values and the values that we see lived out in an increasingly secular Britain brings an increasing demand on us to find our voice. We must not be afraid in this day to speak up, and a day is coming when we will need to find our voices even more. Never has it been more necessary for us to write to our MPs, to influence politics, to stand up for Christian values in the pub, in the marketplace, in our workplaces, at the school gate. We need to work with and support those who are speaking out for Christian values on a national stage. CARE, the Evangelical Alliance, the Lawyers Christian Fellowship, who are challenging parliamentarians on issues 
such as the place of heterosexual marriage in our society and the right for religious freedom. But we also need to find our voice. Our voice in the workplaces, at the dinner parties, at the family gatherings, at the school gates, in the pub, at the golf club. We need to increasingly talk of kingdom values, of fairness, of integrity, of honesty, of justice and of forgiveness. But Jesus didn't only use words. He also used deeds. And in using deeds, Jesus changed the things through the things he did. Jesus didn't see people suffering and not do anything. We have a God who delights in turning mourning into dancing, sorrow into joy, suffering into triumph, darkness into light, and ultimately death into life. He didn't leave the disciples struggling in the midst of the storm. He calmed the waves. He didn't leave Lazarus in the tomb. He raised him to life. He didn't leave the guests at the wedding with no wine. He transformed the water. He didn't leave the blind man not seeing or the deaf man not hearing. This is our God. He was not so much countercultural, building a separate churchy culture into which people had to come, but was non-conformist within his culture. He embraced the Middle East table fellowship, sitting and eating, an important cultural norm, but then turned it upside down by inviting the prostitutes and the tax collectors to join him. He embraced going to the well, turned it upside down by talking with a woman and a Samaritan woman at that. He healed on the Sabbath, forgave people their sins and told his followers to turn the other cheek and walk the extra mile. And so Jesus calls us to go and change in word and deed. Firstly, to go where people are at and to be where they're at and then to go and change in word and deed. What are the transformational words and deeds that God is calling you to in our culture today? Where are the opportunities for you to be in the culture, having God conversations and turning the cultural norms upside down? Where are the opportunities for you to punch some holes in the darkness Maybe for you it's being a lone Christian voice in the local political party or speaking up at PTA meetings. Maybe for you it's inviting people other than your peer and social group to a dinner party. When did you last do that? When did you last some- invite someone into your home who you naturally wouldn't have related to? It's what Jesus did. The prostitutes, the outcasts, those are the people he sat and he fellowshiped with. Maybe for you it's looking out for the lonely or depressed. Maybe for you it's having a distinctive witness in your workplace and standing up for justice and righteousness. You know there are people of faith punching holes in the darkness up and down this country right now and it's incredible to see what God is doing in the most unlikely of places. Churches are running debt counselling centres, pregnancy counselling centres, homeless shelters, food banks, soup runs, lunch clubs, after school clubs, building city academies, all putting their faith into action in word and deed and reaching out into their communities in ways that we have never seen before. In 2008, Hope 2008, saw a million hours of kindness over Pentecost weekend with the church together in the UK, building on Soul on the City, Message Manchester, Mersey Fest, anyone and the noise to proclaim to this nation that we're a good news people, a good news people who are regaining their confidence and assurance in the good news of Jesus Christ and are determined to punch some holes in the darkness and bring about transformation in our communities in Jesus' name. One of the privileges that I have 
is seeing Christians doing this right across the world. Let me introduce you to Isabella. Isabella is 37 and is a mother of five. She lives in the village of Accordis de Lusaka in Guija district, Mozambique. Each morning she rises at 4am and prepares breakfast for her family. She then walks seven miles to the field where she is a casual labourer and in the 40 degrees heat she toils away with back-breaking work until 2pm in the afternoon. For all of this, she earns one pound. She then walks back the seven miles to her home, prepares dinner for her family. However, Isabella's day doesn't stop there. Whilst most of us, after a day like that, would be looking forward to our favourite telly programme and a cup of Horlicks, Isabella is getting ready to set out again because she is a volunteer with Samaritan's Purse through a local church in our HIV and AIDS home care programme. And so after dinner she sets off to visit two twins, Michael and Richard, who are 12 years old. They have lost both of their parents to HIV and now live alone. They are two of the two million orphans in Africa from HIV. Isabel is their only carer, and so she sets to work making dinner for them, helping them with their schoolwork, cleaning their home and being a surrogate mum for them. Isabella is punching some homes about the darkness, in the darkness. What about you? However, and finally, it wasn't enough for Jesus just to go and be, or even enough to go and change. He had something more important to give this woman at the well. And so the story takes a surprising twist in verse 25 and 26. After giving her the surprise that he was talking not about physical water, but about the water of life that wells up to eternal life, she tries to distract him with a theological argument in verses 19 to 24. But Jesus refuses to be distracted and gives her the biggest surprise of the entire conversation. He reveals to her that he is the Messiah. And in verses 28 to 30, we get a wonderful snapshot of what the woman said to her fellow villagers while she returned home that evening. She said this, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That is a hilarious statement. It's absolutely hilarious. Can you imagine this situation with her going back? She's just met Jesus at the well, and she goes back and she's telling her family what's happened. Now, it sounds a bit tame to me, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did, could this be the Christ? I kind of like to imagine that the conversation went a bit more like this, as she talks to her friend on her mobile. Okay, preacher's license. Okay. Hey Jess, you'll never believe what happened to me today. I was sat there at the well, where I go every day in the middle of the day, and this bloke, yeah, a bloke, comes up to me and asks me to give him a drink. Can you believe it? Yeah, and he was a Jew. Yeah, a Jewish bloke. No, serious. No, 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 I haven't been drinking. No, no. And the midday sun hasn't got to me. This was a real live Jewish bloke, and he comes up to me, and he asks me to give him a drink. No, 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 it's not, it's not a joke. Then he tells me that actually he's got this water he can give me that, like, lasts forever and means you never get thirsty again. No, he didn't have a pointy magician's hat on his head and a long beard. No. Well, anyway, then he tells me how many husbands I've had. Yeah, he knew about that one as well. And, like, it's incredible. And then he tells me he's the Messiah. Jess, Jess, have you hung up on me? Well, you can imagine the story. But wouldn't it be great if in the coming days and months there were people in our community who were going at home at night with a story to tell? A story of how someone had met them where they're at 
A story how someone who challenged them in word and deed. A story of someone who'd invited them into their home and then shared with them the truth about this Messiah Jesus. Romans 10:14 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The good news is that when people hear the gospel presented clearly and preached clearly, they respond. We are good news people with good news to declare. And ultimately, that good news is about a person. It's about Jesus. Jesus who was prophesied about in the scriptures. Jesus who was born as a human and yet fully God. Jesus who died for our sins on the cross to reveal the true extent of God's judgment and grace. Jesus who was buried and raised again from the dead on the third day in a display of God's ultimate power over death. Jesus who is exalted at God's right hand as the Son of God. Jesus who is coming again to judge the world just as the scriptures said. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. We love him, don't we? He is the good news. He is our salvation. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We worship you, Jesus. And as Spurgeon says, Jesus is the truth. We believe in him, not merely in his words. He himself is doctor and doctrine, revealer and revelation, the illuminator and the light of men. He is exalted in every word of truth because he He is its sum and its substance. A Christless gospel is no gospel at all. If if all we do is only look after the homeless and only go to the lonely and we fail to share with them the great good news about Jesus Christ and his gospel, then we have failed. Or as Calvin says, the whole gospel is contained in Jesus Christ. This is not a good news about Baptists. It's not good news about Pentecostal. It's not good news about Anglicans or Methodists or good news about the church. It's good news about Jesus. The gospel is not good news about money or prosperity or good news about a fulfilled life or good news only about heaven. It's good news about Jesus. The gospel is not good news about the provision of shoeboxes or food or shelter or medicine. It's good news about Jesus. This is not good news about Asia or Africa or Europe or Americans. It's good news about Jesus. The gospel is not good news about Samaritan's Purse or Operation Christmas Child or any other organisation. It's not good news about any hero of the faith, living or dead. It's good news about Jesus, dead, buried, rising and coming again on Christ and what he has done. My soul hangs for time and eternity. If your soul also hangs there, it will be saved as surely as mine shall be. And if you are lost, trusting in Christ, I will be lost with you and will go to hell with you. I must do so for I have nothing else to rely upon but the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived, died, was buried and rose again, went to heaven and still lives and pleads for sinners at the right hand of God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Everything changes because of the person, Jesus, who came and sat at the well and shared the good news that he is the Messiah with a Samaritan woman who was an outcast because of her situation and her culture. Samaritan's purse loved nothing more 
than when the quality of our work in showing compassion and love and care to the most vulnerable in society provides a platform from which we can point people to Jesus. Hey, church, let's go and turn up in some unexpected places. Let's punch some holes in the darkness. Let's go and tell of this Messiah, Jesus. Samaritan's Purse is turning up in unexpected places. The refugee camps of South Sudan, the uh, Philippines after the um, hurricane, in Kyrgyzstan with a persecuted church, in Rwanda after the genocide. And we're turning up and helping people in Jesus' name and telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we do on a daily basis. What about you? May God get all the glory and all the honour for his name, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We just take a moment to be still, prayerfully. And we shall sing our closing hymn that we are as we've been challenged, facing a task unfinished. Lord, as we settle our minds as we take in your word to us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to be specific about our lives, where we live, move and have our being. situations in which we find ourselves in the classroom, in the boardroom, in the building site, in the shops, communities, homes. That we would be the living presence of Jesus in these places. dark world bringing light we ask that you would shine Lord Jesus shine into our lives and through our lives with light and life and hope we thank you for bringing Simon to us, we ask your blessing upon him and the work through Samaritan's Purse. Prosper that work for the blessing of yet more people. And give us courage to follow you wherever you lead. And we pray in your name. Amen. Great missionary hymn of Frank, Bishop Frank Halton, facing her task unfinished. Let's stand and sing, please.